Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Alrighty, hello, hello. Welcome and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Total Wellness Mastery Show. I, of course, am your host, Lauren Sanchez, board-certified holistic health practitioner and women's natural health specialist. I'm so excited that you're here for this episode. We're going to get the chance to dive into another one of my favorite topics to talk about um, and to give people clarity about and get so much freedom around as well, too. So today I have the absolute pleasure of hanging out with and speaking with and introducing you to if you're not already familiar with her. Dr. Patricia Mills. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Mills yet, she is an internationally recognized published researcher and a medical doctor specializing in physical medicine and rehabilitation, but through the lens of functional medicine, aka root cause medicine. Her passion is providing root cause solutions for women's health concerns with a focus on supporting the four pillars of whole body health, the stress response, gut health, hormone health, and toxin tolerance. Dr. Mills was previously a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of British Columbia, UBC, and a core member of the Rehabilitation Research Program. She obtained her MD from the University of Toronto, her Master's of Health Science in Healthcare and Epidemiology from UBC, and her Functional Medicine Certification through the Institute for Functional Medicine. She's the host of the Wild Wisdom for Women show, and you can find her all over social media at Mills. So, oh my goodness, I'm so excited, like I said, Dr. Patricia, to hang out with you here today and just have you share a little bit of your wild wisdom with us. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren, for the wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. Yes, of course. Okay, so as I said, we're going to get the chance to dive into one of my favorite topics, and that is the topic of blood sugar management. So many women are under the impression, men too, under the impression that if I'm not pre-diabetic or I don't have type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes, that I don't really need to pay attention to my blood sugar. But that is not the case. And so I'm excited to kind of blow the lid off of that and talk about how blood sugar is very, very closely related to all of the rest of the wonderful hormones in our endocrine system um, and how they all kind of play and interplay with one another as well. Um, to keep us feeling and looking our best. So I would love to kind of kick us off, um, kick off the conversation talking about what are some of the common symptoms of blood sugar imbalance? Because like we said, it's not just about having pre-diabetes or diabetes. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, some of you uh, who are watching this may be familiar with this conversation and heard of it, and some of you might be the first time. And it's based on decades of research, but, you know, in medicine, it takes about 20 years for what's found in research to make itself, you know, known in the uh, traditional practice. And so we are at the leading edge. Most uh, doctors don't, uh, aren't aware of this kind of part of the blood sugar balancing conversation. As you mentioned, they're aware of the diabetes and the prediabetes and gestational diabetes, but not the day-to-day impact of what you eat and drink and how and when you eat and drink and 
the effects on how much sugar you have in your blood. So if you were to measure your blood through the day, and you would look at that level rise and fall, rise and fall, depending on what you're eating and drinking. And that rise and fall will be either within a really nice kind of Goldilocks zone, like just enough, not too much. And then it drops, but not too little, not too low. In that Goldilocks zone, uh, you're feeling amazing energy. Like you're just, you know, you've got energy through the day. You don't have the afternoon slump uh, in and you don't have food cravings, right? When you start to get out of that Goldilocks zone where what you eat and drink spikes your blood sugar way up above that upper Goldilocks zone limit. So it's starting to go too high. And you can actually measure that with things like continuous glucose monitor. That's where the data comes from. You start to experience in that high zone, you actually don't experience a lot. You might experience a surge of pleasure, actually. <laughs> it feels good to eat those foods that are um, that give you that big blood sugar rush, which is unfortunately one of the reasons why we're so addicted to things that contain a lot of uh, carbohydrates that turn into simple sugars quickly because it provides a massive quick spike in your blood sugar. So you might actually eat a food and you're thinking, well, I'm intuitive eating. You know, I'm eating for, I'm feeling it. It feels good. This is good for me. But it could actually be that what it's doing is it's spiking your blood sugar. And I'll teach you how to, you know, figure that out for yourself without the need for a, a sugar, a blood sugar monitor. Although I did wear one for quite a while to figure it out for myself. And it's super, super geeky fun to do. <laughs> it's when the sugar then goes from that really high, high and the response of the body when that blood sugar goes really high the ultimate consequence of that is the blood sugar will then start to drop, but then it drops too low. It goes really, really low past that low threshold of the Goldilocks zone within that range. It goes below that range. And in that range is when you start to experience low energy and food cravings. And the thing is that if someone were to measure their blood sugar at that time, they would have what's called hypoglycemia. Their blood sugar is too low. And they think to themselves, oh, my problem, the reason I'm hangry, right, is because I have problems with low blood sugar. So I've got to eat foods that rise my blood sugar. And they get into this vicious cycle now where they're going, the blood sugar is going up and then it goes down again and it crashes and they get into that hypoglycemic, hangry, low energy you get that afternoon energy slump. That's a really good way to know that you're riding the blood sugar roller coaster. And yes, when your blood sugar goes that low, you do need to eat something to correct the, um, the imbalance. However, what you eat in that moment will then determine what will the next blood sugar response be? Will it be within that Goldilocks zone? After which you don't go too high, you don't go too low, you're in that an amazing energy, not food craving zone, or are you going to go back up again into that roller coaster ride? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a such a common one too. And I think about this, and just something. This whole conversation so far, a lot of times we think, oh my goodness, I'm experiencing low blood sugar, and we think it's a blood sugar issue, and we're dehydrated too. So that's another really big one, and. I want to kind of open up the conversation there too with the the water balance and getting up and using the restroom being a really uh, tall tale symptom in the middle of the night of you know the, riding the blood sugar roller coaster as well too. Are there any other kind of odd symptoms like the one that I just mentioned right now that that you want to share? 
I'm so glad you mentioned the dehydration because there are multiple factors that we have to consider when we're thinking about things like food cravings, right? Um, so for example, you could have the low blood sugar and it all ties in together. So the high blood sugar makes you pee more because your body's trying to get rid of that excess sugar. The other thing it does is it makes you thirsty because you pee more, you get actually dehydrated. So for example, fruit juice is dehydrating. Mm -hmm. which is super counterintuitive because I do see some people hydrating with like fresh pressed fruit juices or their children are drinking fruit juices thinking it's better than nothing. It's actually worse than not drinking something. It will dehydrate you more than if you were to not drink the fruit juice. So you get into that zone and food craving, sometimes it's our bodies cry for water. So it's like we don't recognize that we're thirsty, but our body is sending us a message that we need something and we can't decode it. So we think it's food, but it's actually water, but it's the right kind of water. So what kind of water is the kind of water you should be drinking? Well, what has happened over time is that in the old days, when we would drink water, it'd be from spring water. And that spring water would be water going through the rocks in the river, and it would pick up a lot of minerals. So we were drinking mineralized water, which is appropriate because in our blood, we don't have pure water. We have salt water. We have water with minerals in it. And in our cells, we also have water with minerals in it. If we drink water that has had the minerals removed, which is what happens to a certain extent with our water filtration systems, we get, uh, although we're drinking water, we're not drinking mineralized water. And mineralized water is what our body can hold on to demineralized or not sufficiently mineralized water is what our body needs to pee out because otherwise it dilutes our salt water in our blood too much. It makes it so that there's not enough minerals. That's very bad for body function. So for example, what I do is I have my filtered water. Obviously you need to clean your water. It needs to be clean, but I actually mineralize my water using Himalayan salt. And I did a whole show on this on my YouTube channel you can look it up in the how-to playlist, Dr. Patricia Mills, MD, and I give you the exact proportion because, you know, people are like, well, you're adding salt to your water. Isn't that bad for salt? Like, you know, we're told not to have salt. Salt is a problem when it doesn't come with enough water to balance it out. And when it's hidden in very high amounts in foods that don't taste salty, but the Food industry has added it to the food in order to increase its um, flavor, but it's got a lot of sugar. So it actually just makes the food taste more sweet, not more salty. So the highest source of salt in your diet is from bread, from processed bread, from bread rolls. Mm. So that's super surprising, right? You wouldn't think that. But if you were to eat like not processed foods, bread that's been made by a baker, that's not adding, you know, excess amounts of salt to like boost the flavor, right? Like a good sourdough bread. And all you're doing is you're adding uh, salt to your water in the proportions I describe. And you're adding salt to your food so that it's salty to taste on the tongue, right? Not too salty. You're not going to run into problems with too much salt. It's when we consume those foods that have hidden salts, like the processed foods I talk about. And when you are... Um, so that's pretty much the main reason. And the thing is, don't spend money on those super expensive electrolyte drinks. They usually have sugar added to them. And, and if they don't, the Himalayan salt is just like, 
exponentially cheaper and it's easy to have at home and it's easy to make. Yes. Oh my goodness. So good. And I didn't mean to derail us too much there, but I thought that was a really important point. And I wanted to hear you kind of explain that for listeners. Um, But let's talk about what are some of the other kind of shocking negative impacts um, or consequences of elevated blood sugar, um, especially for prolonged periods of time. So that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. And I love talking about this because I did not know this in my early 30s and late 30s. And so when I hit my 40s, I started to notice that things were not good with my health. So why is that? Because in the day to day, it's the it's the hungry cravings and the low energy. If that continues over time, which statistically speaking, if you're watching this, and you're having problems with your weight or your energy or your hormone balance, your menstruation or your menopause, chances are you have this problem. And I did. And there's this part of us where when we when we learn these things, it's really hard to accept where you're like, no, this isn't happening to me. It can't be happening to me. But the sooner you get over that hump and you get from like denial into action, the quicker you're going to see results. So I'm going to educate you so that you can get over that hump a little bit faster and start taking action right away. And it's amazing. It it can improve within like a day to a week. Like it's it's very fast. Some of the damage done does take some time to reverse, but it does reverse. So what is the damage done? from these constant, pretty much daily, and it starts for most people with breakfast. Most people's breakfasts are not, um, they have too many carbohydrates, which can be healthy, but not with not if they're taken without enough fiber and enough protein and enough fat, right? Which is a different conversation. But so let's say you're starting off the day with this, with this um, it could even be oats, like rolled oats. It could be cereal, it could be granola. It could be your regular bread. That's whole wheat or sprouted, whatever. But depending on how you eat it, it could spike your blood sugar. And then you have your lunch and then you have your snack and then you have your dinner or you know maybe you're fasting and you have less. But if that meal, if that snack or that drink, that coffee or tea with the oats milk, right? That the oat milk is just deadly, by the way, including and also regular milk. That's happening every day. You're riding this roller coaster up and down, up and down. What's going to happen? I could approach this from many different angles. So let's take the angle of hormone balance. So what happens is that when you when you go into that really low low, it triggers a stress response in your body because it's too low. It's like oh my gosh, we're in hypoglycemia stress. Like the cortisol stress hormone gets released, and in women it's particularly pronounced. Men have less of an issue with this. We women have more. And so the stress hormones gets released. And now you're getting these like doses of stress hormone being pumped out into your body in doses that our body was not meant to be exposed to. And the stress hormone over time causes you to gain weight, particularly around the midsection, around that belly fat area. Okay. It causes inflammation in the body, which you could experience as some achiness. You're starting to have a hard time recovering from workouts or you're waking up in the morning and you're feeling kind of sore right? Your muscles might be a little bit sore. Your joints might be a little bit sore. If you have osteoarthritis, that pain is higher. You could have, it really tends to manifest in the skin like rosacea, adult acne, dermatitis, eczema, psoriasis, all of those things, right? So this inflammatory damage is progressing. You will see faster aging. So you'll get more wrinkles, you know, all of those things faster. Your skin starts to lose its it's elasticity, your hair starts to fall out more, everything is interconnected. So that's uh, one impact. The other is the other hormones. So when cortisol is being pumped up high, to make cortisol, it uses the same building blocks to make progesterone 
estrogen and testosterone. So when you start having to make more cortisol, you start to take away from the healthy production of progesterone, which is your chill hormone. Okay. So it helps you relax. You might start to feel more irritable, more short tempered. And then eventually it starts to imbalance your estrogen and testosterone. And so how that plays out for you, that depends on your genetics. So the damage done is not done by your genetics, but the way that you're eating or drinking is, is like triggering certain processes in your body that cause your genes to be used by the body in a different way. Genes are like a blueprint, but how the blueprint is read depends on the environment around it. So if the architect is reading the blueprint and the architect is hangry, it's going to do things differently than if the architect is well-fed and, and stable energy, right? So the, how your genes are used by the body changes and everybody is a bit different. So some women will have uh, problems with polycystic ovarian syndrome. That's the way it manifests for them in long-term. Other women, it will be problems with their menstruation, like premenstrual uh, 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 syndrome, uh, PMDD, like where you get really bad depression and mood swings. It can be heavy bleeding during your period, painful cramping. It can be light bleeding with a little bit of spotting. Remember, it's, that's the genetics piece, okay, how it plays out for you. But the end result is hormone imbalance. It could be problems with fertility. So that was one of my manifestations was heavy cramping, very heavy cramping periods and problems with fertility, fibroids, endometriosis. And over time, that can progress to, if that's not identified and nipped in the bud early, it'll, the damage will continue to um, pr progress, especially if you use something like an oral contraceptive pill or some kind of hormone therapy to band-aid the solution, but the underlying damage continues. So while it doesn't feel as bad because you've got this like hormone therapy kind of band-aid on, the bleeding is still happening underneath. And over time, you might find yourself being diagnosed with breast cancer, endometrial cancer, right? Dementia, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, there are different kinds of Alzheimer's. And one of them, actually one and a half of them, are due to problems with sugar, with sh blood sugar balance, to the point where it's called now type 3 diabetes, diabetes of the brain. And before all of that starts happening, your body organs start to kind of, their function starts to slowly deteriorate. So you might get a diagnosis of gallstones. You might get a diagnosis of fatty liver, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. How is that picked up? Usually by ultrasound, looking at the liver. Um, why would they do that? Well, on your blood work, they might see that your liver enzymes, your blood work for the liver function starts to go in the wrong direction. You might start to see changes in cholesterol levels, uh, your blood pressure might start to creep up, like all of these organ systems are slow, slowly eroding. And so it's, it's rare that it presents with one thing. It's usually one major thing that really takes your attention, but little other things are happening. And the other thing that happens is at the level of the gut. So you could have, because of that high uh, sugar dosing, and we won't get into the specifics unless you want to, but what that could result is, is for some people, diarrhea, for some people, constipation, for some people, both. It can fluctuate through the month. You can get bloating, bloating that stays all the time or bloating that comes and goes with meals. Ultimately, in most cases, it boils down to what are we exposing ourselves to? And the thing that we expose ourselves to the most 
is through what we eat and drink. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is huge. So I'm sitting here, I'm nodding away. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But I really want people to connect with this because a lot of times we think of sugar in this weird kind of vacuum. Like it's just about the weight, but no, like, like you were just saying, cholesterol, osteo, anything, um, hormone imbalance. There's all of these different things that are connected to how much sugar we're, we're consuming and how our body is reacting and responding to what we're eating in terms of our blood sugar management. So um, that's huge. That's a, a really big one. I want to take a kind of a step back and um, have us kind of single in on cholesterol, for example, or, or specifically. And why I want to do that is because I have so many women and we'll talk about, you know, how we get more insulin resistant as we close, we near menopause and all those fun things. Um, but I have so many women who, you know, they get closer to, to their menopausal years and that cholesterol starts to elevate, starts to elevate. And the first thing they want to take out is the dietary fats. That's all we want to take out. <laughs> so I would love for you to kind of share a little bit about um, just like the mechanism of how our body actually makes cholesterol, um, that we want the fiber to support the liver with, you know, producing the right amounts of cholesterol and all of that fun stuff. So let's kind of open the conversation up there. Okay. Yeah. This is big one because cholesterol is super counterintuitive. I always try to make things really intuitive, but cholesterol is just not. <laughs> so you just have to kind of understand that our body, uh, when we uh, eat cholesterol from things like eggs and animal fat, and even plants have cholesterol, like cholesterol is a building block of life. Cholesterol is one of the building blocks for our sex hormones and our stress hormone. So remember how I said how cortisol has the same building block as pre uh, progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, that building block is cholesterol. And the thing is that when we eat cholesterol, our body breaks it down into its like building blocks. So you, when if I eat a molecule of cholesterol, and I absorb it, I don't absorb it as cholesterol, I absorb it as its, its building blocks. And then it goes into our body and it gets used and it gets stored. And whether or not my body then takes those building blocks to make more cholesterol will depend on what damage is being done to the body because cholesterol has many functions. One function is to carry around uh, fat in the body. And the thing about fat is that it is an essential nutrient. And just like anything, if you drink too much water and not enough water, it's damaging. If you have too much fat and not enough fat, it's damaging. And the problem is we're starting to get into the too not enough fat zone. That's for most people, that's the problem. Most people don't eat too much fat. And yet there we're seeing in society this increasing in cholesterol. Why is that? Because cholesterol not only is the building block for uh, hormones, it carries around healthy fat that builds our brain. Our brain is 60% fat. Mm -hmm. People who go on very low-fat diets, they've done this research. They've done randomized controlled trials, which is the highest level research where they take people and divide, they randomly divide them into two groups, put one group on like moderate fat diet and one group in ultra-low-fat diet, which is hopefully changing now, but up until now has been the recommendation by traditional medicine to deal with things like high cholesterol. That group on the ultra-low-fat diet, they have increased risk of dying from all conditions, from any disease. Why? Because they go too low on that essential nutrient that builds your brain, 
builds your skin, builds every single membrane in your body, builds your hormones, right? And builds your the lining of your nerves so you get good electrical nerve conduction. People with multiple sclerosis have damage to that lining, so that's why they have all these issues, right? So it's not that the problem is too much fat in the diet. And in fact, we, they've done studies showing that when you eat like eggs, for example, and that they are high in really healthy cholesterol, your cholesterol does not go up, right. period. It does not go up. What makes cholesterol go up? What makes cholesterol go up is if you have something causing damage and inflammation inside the body. Cholesterol is like a Band-Aid. So if you have damage to inside the body and it's damaging the blood vessels, for example, the inflammation is starting to damage the blood vessels. What, where does that inflammation come from? I go back to the four pillars of my whole body health. It comes from um, too much stress, comes from damage to the gut health. It comes from hormone imbalance, including that blood sugar, which imbalances all the hormones like I explained, right? And it comes from toxins tolerance. So too much toxins exposure without your body being able to handle it. So if you're getting inflammation from one, one or more of those four reasons, your body's going to start pumping out cholesterol. And it's going to, uh, and that's, and the thing is there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol. If you do the regular blood test that your doctor does without, an, without the breakdown of the good versus bad cholesterol, you just get one number like LDL, right? That's a very famous cholesterol number that people like to look at. Well, LDL cholesterol, if I just get the number, it's like looking at a group of people and I just have the number of the group, but I don't have how many people in this group are like the bad guys and how many in this group are the good guys. So you might actually do like they have high high LDL, but if you do what's called the breakdown of it, which you usually have to pay for out of pocket, at least in Canada, I know you do, where it then tells you how much oxidized LDL versus not oxidized LDL, the oxidized LDL is the bad guys. Now, let's say you do that and your oxidized LDL is too high. Then what you're thinking is, okay, do a quick check. Like, am I gorging on too much fat? Like, am I just eating like massive amounts of fat? I can tell you every single person I've talked to, that's not the case. Like you'd have to be eating bacon every single day. So yes, if you're on a ketogenic diet and you're eating tons of bacon every day, Maybe cut that back first and see what happens, right? But typically, people are actually not eating enough healthy fats, okay, which is another story, like vegetable seed oils, not healthy, olive oil, you know, sesame seed oil, avocado oil, uh, if you can tolerate it, butter and, and dairy creams, like, you know, those are healthy fats. Those are fats are, we grew up with, like we evolve with, and our body can take them in and use them, okay? And so... It often that's not the problem. Often in our modern day society, it's the blood sugar. It's the blood sugar imbalances from too much sugar in our diet. It's the impact that that sugar has, that excess sugar constantly has on our body damage and inflammation. And the cholesterol is our body's response to that. It, in its infinite wisdom, it is trying to um, heal the damage done by by making more cholesterol amongst other things but the cholesterol is the one that we see. So if I had if someone did a blood work on me and, and I saw my blood cholesterol going up, I wouldn't be looking at my dietary fats other than to be like okay, just make sure I'm eating the right ones, right? Let's get rid of the ultra processed foods because they have the wrong ones. Let's not eat out at restaurants so much because they have the wrong ones. 
the ultra-processed um, vegetable seed oils that are used in restaurants and in ultra-processed foods, they increase your cholesterol, not because you're taking in too much cholesterol, but because they cause inflammatory damage in the body, right? So it does increase cholesterol, but not by its intake of cholesterol, but by the damage that it does through other pathways. Oh, that's so important for people to understand. Thank you so much for explaining that. Now, another one that I know is kind of touch and go for people, and we've talked about it all throughout the conversation so far, but let's really get clarity on that interplay between insulin, blood sugar, and cortisol. Um, And then I also want to get that kind of clear picture on insulin, blood sugar, and inflammation as well, too, because all of that, it's very intertwined. (laughs) So I'd love for you to kind of break that down for us, too. Yeah. And just so I, cause I can go in many directions. Is there something specific that you want me to get into with that? Yeah. Let's start with um, how elevated blood sugar is an actual stress that's having the body produce cortisol. Let's go through that, that story first. Yeah. So um, there's just so many ways to go about yeah, this. So yeah. Okay. So The body produces a cortisol stress hormone in response to mental and physical stress. So the mental stress is like, you know, your, your work, uh, you have a deadline and and you're having a hard time meeting it, for example, or your kids or your family, whatever. The physical stress is anything that causes the body to go out of balance, right? That, and, and the body always wants to correct that balance. It wants to get back into balance. So Whenever your blood sugar goes too high or too low, right? But but with blood sugar, it's actually more the too low part that it, that causes the damage. The too high part with cholesterol, the too high part, it's not so much a cholesterol, like an immediate cholesterol release problem. The too high part is that you've got too much sugar floating around in your blood. Over time, your body gets like um, less capable of dealing with it. It's like, it's like the, the sugar, excess sugar is like rust. Okay. And it, and it literally browns the tissues and it's the excess sugar. um, When it attaches to our tissues, it forms this like new Frankenstein molecule called advanced glycation end product, AGE, age. It ages the tissue. It literally rusts the tissue tissues. It browns it. Your doctor is measuring that by the way, every three months, if they're monitoring you for for blood sugar issues with your hemoglobin A1C, which is a very common test that most doctors will order as a screening test. What it's measuring is how much sugar is sticking to your red blood cells, right? And what they have is like a cutoff, like there really shouldn't be any, like you shouldn't, you should have so much excess sugar that's floating around and sticking to things. It should just be used for energy, right? It's the building block of life for energy. But if you have any floating around, it starts to t- stick to everything, but we can't take tissues out of your body and measure them. We can take blood out and measure it sticking to the blood. And that's what we see. That creates a long-term damage, which is stressful for the body. The other way that it causes stress on the body, which could then long-term cause that cortisol issue, is that excess sugar, excess glucose is turned into fructose, Okay, which is a different kind of carbohydrates. So sugar is glucose and fructose. Glucose is used by body for energy. It has a function. Fructose actually doesn't have an energetic function. It, it can only go to the liver and the liver um, either can store it or if it doesn't have enough, if it's been overwhelmed with storage, it turns it into fat. Mm-hmm. So did you know that the fat in your liver, if you get a fatty liver diagnosis, doesn't come from eating too much fat? 
Mm-hmm. It comes from eating too much sugar, right? And so that fructose and that glucose that gets turned into fructose, so it's either direct fructose from the diet, like high fructose corn syrup, which is the favorite sugar in ultra processed foods. It all comes down to ultra processed foods. It could be a healthy, healthy in quotes, protein bar, shake, um, protein powder, um, any kind of processed foods. You just have to be so careful because they often use this. But then excess sugar, like from your granola or your smoothie, fruit smoothie, or your oat milk, right? It's just too much. That excess sugar gets turned into fructose that all that fructose can only go to the liver. And the liver over time gets overwhelmed. It's, and what the, what the fructose effect has is that creates, it makes the body store more fat called lipogenesis. It turns the fructose into fat. It turns down the body's ability to burn fat. So you know when people are like, oh, a calorie is a calorie. And it's like, well, no. Actually, what you're looking at is what does that molecule, regardless of how many calories it has, what is the effect of that molecule on the body? And although fructose only has four calories and fat has nine calories per quantity, the fructose turns down your fat burning ability. So then you gain weight, even though you're eating less calories if you're on a low fat diet. A perfect example is like a yogurt, right? That is low fat, but then they add sugar like your strawberry yogurts, right? Then they add sugar and you think you're doing yourself a favor by eating less calories, but actually that sugar is turning down your fat burning switch and now you're gaining more weight. And that excess sugar is being turned into fat through the process of lipogenesis, the genesis of lipo, the genesis of fat, the creation of fat. Mm. So over time, that damage to the tissues through the browning, the rusting process, the damage to the liver through the accumulation of fat in the liver, which gets in the way of its function that creates a stressful environment for the body, okay? And that will lead to the inflammation from excess stress, from excess cortisol, and that, that's when you get the downstream effects. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, so I'm gonna open up another can of worms here. <laughs> Let's talk about kind of the reverse effect of that. So when we have the cortisol that's pumping in, what's it doing to that stored sugar? So um, what is it doing to the stored sugar? Cortisol itself, like the cortisol hormone, the hormones are messengers. So cortisol is basically floating around in your body to um, cause a certain response in your body. And the general response in the body is for it to turn up it the, the part of the nervous system that's responsible for fight or flight. Okay. And um, so get like that nervous kind of energy, like that wired and tired kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it also, um, turns up inflammation. Why does it turn up inflammation? Well, it, why do, why do we have the cortisol response in the first place? One, one is to get up in the morning. Okay. It's like, we naturally have an increase in cortisol in the morning. So, and what cortisol does in the morning is it kind of energizes the system for the morning. So it goes to the liver and it causes the liver to squeeze out a little sugar. So even when you haven't eaten in the morning, and if you're doing your continuous glucose monitoring, you're seeing, you see a little bit of increase in, in sugar in your blood, even though you didn't eat anything, it's because you're, it's an awakening response. Okay. And actually, if you do anything to stress your body out, whether it's good or it's bad, a little bit of sugar gets pumped out of your liver. Your liver is like the storage house for a lot of things, right? And so it'll take the sugar that's stored in it and kind of drip it into the blood in a necessary way 
as long as it's within reasonable amounts. So getting up in the morning, having exercising causes the stress response and the blood sugar going up. That's a healthy, uh, as long as you're not over-exercising, there's a damage from over-exercising, but as long as you're in that Goldilocks zone, um, going into a sauna will do that, right? So little stresses of the body are good because they, um, you know, they get you, like they kind of make you stronger. But if you do too much sauna, too much exercising, having coffee on an empty stomach is actually um, does re- induce a cortisol release, which then jumps up your blood sugar. So if you're a person who is waking up, having coffee on an empty stomach, then going to do your exercise, over-exercising, waiting for a long time to eat, which is women who skip breakfast, by the way, there's a study very specifically done on this where when they, when they delay their first meal too much, the cortisol goes up and actually they see an increase in blood pressure. Like it's not a good up in cortisol. It's like a too much. It starts to go into hypertension. So for women, it's really important for us to understand is that we want to have the stress response in a Goldilocks zone as well, because a little bit of stress response is good. Too much stress response is not good, right? Too little is not good. Like to have no stress response, you'd have to like lie in bed all day. Not not good, right? You need yeah. to like get up and have your breakfast, do your exercise, do your work, whatever, but stay within that Goldilocks zone. Because yes, excess cortisol, even from things that people think are good, like what so what do women do that they think are good for weight control and and metabolic health is intermittent fasting, which is good. But for women, you have to break the fast before 10 o'clock in the morning. Why? Women are are exquisitely sensitive to the cortisol hormone, Mm. more so than men. So we have different, we need to do things like exercise a bit differently, break our fast a little bit differently, manage our stress a little bit differently because of the difference of cortisol in our body. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is so good. Such a great conversation. So tell us a little bit about, I mentioned this early on, but I'd love to hear you kind of explain this as well too. Um, but talk to us a little bit about, so we're in the conversation of talking about, about women, right? Why do we get more insulin resistant as we near menopause? Well, uh, okay. So the data that we have, <laughs> it's a big one, but it, the, I just want to be very clear about what we know and what we don't know. The data that we have is research done on women in modern society, right? We don't have the insulin resistance data from when we were um, eating like all real food and no ultra processed food. So what we know is that if you are living in today's modern society and you're eating the standard American diet, or you are, um, let's say you're a bit like beyond that, you're, you're in the health space, you've been listening to people like me, and you're doing things like, you know, a bulletproof coffee in the morning, and then breaking your fast around noon, and you know, all that kind of things, which is, the concept is right, but the timing is wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, for women. Um, what will happen is that over time, the insulin, what is insulin sensitive uh, resistance, right? So first, let's because some of some of you watching may not be completely familiar with this. So when the blood sugar is seen in, when the sugar is seen in the blood, the blood has sensors and it senses the sugar going up, the level going up. And the response, the sensors connect to your pancreas and your pancreas then makes the hormone, the messenger insulin. 
insulin then gets dumped into the bloodstream and goes all around the body into the brain and everywhere. And it knocks on the cell door, the door of the cell, like on the cell membrane. It's like, think, 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 right? And it says there's sugar open up. And the way it does that, it's like a, it's actually like a key and a lock. It goes in the, the insulin is the key. The in, insulin receptor, the sensing system of the insulin is like a lock. It goes in, it locks, it kind of twists. And then that lock opens and the door opens and sugar can come in and then blood, the sugar can come in from the blood into the cells where the, the cells need energy inside the cell, not in the blood, right? So the sugar gets into the blood and it gets used. What happens is that it's, it's almost like exactly like having too many, like if you have too much sugar happening over time, right? And you have, um, and other things that can cause it actually are stress can actually cause this to happen too. Okay. The same effect. And too much protein, people having massive amounts of protein powder, this can also happen just so you understand it's not just sugar. Um, what can happen is that the, because insulin is being released in high amounts so frequently due to those blood sugar spikes, those, those locks are being jammed into those keys so frequently and so often that the lock starts to get damaged. Now the body can repair the lock, but over time, over a period of years usually, so by the time you're diagnosed with diabetes, you've had problems with blood sugar balance for maybe at least a decade, okay? It's been happening slowly over time. And so that's why I like women thinking about their blood sugar balance now rather than later, right? When it shows up as a problem. Now is the golden window of opportunity before you get diabetes. But even after you have diabetes, you can reverse it. Research shows you can reverse this with what I'm teaching you, right? So the insulin resistance is that over time, that lock gets damaged. The body doesn't get as good at replacing it because all of the organs are, are slowly like malfunctioning, right? Like decreasing in function. And now you have locks that are not responding to the key. And so it's resistant to insulin. It's insulin resistance, which means that the, the door to the cell no longer opens. The sugar can't go in. What you see is over time, your blood sugar levels start to rise. So if I were to do a fasting blood sugar, you would see that, that fasting blood sugar start to creep up because your overall levels of sugar in the blood now are getting higher and higher and higher. Because And the weird thing is, is that the cells themselves are not getting enough sugar. So they're starting to suffer from an energy deficit. So you've got lots of energy in the form of sugar in the blood, but it can't be used because where it's used is in the cell. So you're, you're kind of got this paradox of like, to, you're consuming a lot of sugar, but your body can't use it. And so you might experience the dementia, the brain fog, the problems with your memory, right? Um, the low energy, and it actually takes energy to sleep. And so you can't fall asleep properly. You can't stay asleep properly, right? It's all interconnected. And so what happens is that what we know is that the standard American diet is, is resulting in increased insulin resistance over time. So that as you reach menopause, reaching menopause is aging. Mm -hmm. So as we're aging, we're getting more insulin resistant. And guess what? Men are too. Mm -hmm. It's not just women. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Okay. So now let's talk about how people can go about or what are some of your favorite ways to bring us back into balance dr mills talk about some natural ways to to balance blood sugar on a day to day yeah oh gosh and so i'm going to start with the strategies that don't involve changing what you eat mm -hmm. okay 
and they're all based on science. Like, and I've, it's what I incorporated into my life, including the dietary to, to make changes faster. Okay. So one thing is that um, one mistake that a lot of people are making, even if they're eating healthy foods, but you know, if you're eating a standard American diet or not is the eating window. So the eating window is the time between when you wake up and you first eat or drink something caloric. So it could be a food or a beverage with like an added cream or milk or oat milk or sugar, whatever it is. If it's not a herbal tea, a black tea or black coffee, it counts as starting your opening up your eating window all the way through to the end of the day when you drink or eat your last caloric beverage or meal. That's your eating window, okay? And research is showing us that most people are eating more than eating or drinking more than 12 hours in the day. So they'll get up and have breakfast at like six, right? Between six and eight. And then they'll end up eating around like eight or nine or even 10 with that late night snack sometimes later. So what you, the first step you need to do is take your eating window and narrow it down to 12 hours. So if you break your fast at six with anything, right? Like I explained, you should not eat anything after 6 p.m. If you're like, well, my family likes to have dinner at seven. Okay, great. Then have your breakfast later. Have your breakfast at, at, at uh, you know, eight so that you can end eating at eight, right? You start your dinner at seven, you end at eight. Do whatever you can for most of the days to hit that 12-hour window. If you want to accelerate your weight loss, narrow that window to 10 hours, okay? But make sure you always break your fast. You have your first meal before 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't wait until after that. Don't skip breakfast. It's going to trigger the stress response. Your cortisol is going to go up and you're going to go down that, that stream, right? Over time, it's going to be a problem. So keep it there. Some women will even get into the eight hour window, okay? Like breaking their fast at 10 a.m. and stop eating by six. I would not do that to start. I would ease my way into it. And I would not do it if you have a very highly stressed out life or if you're planning on getting pregnant, if you are pregnant or if you're breastfeeding, okay? Otherwise, and, and women in menopause, it's that eight hour window can actually be really good, like breaking your fast by 10 and ending by six. Okay. So taking into account your lifestyle, you, you look at when do I have to finish eating and kind of plan your breakfast around that time. So that's number one. Why? Because the time that you spend not eating is the time that the body cleans up the damage done. So not only are you not exposing yourself to too much, um, you know, uh, molecules like sugar that can be damaging to the body, you're narrowing that exposure time, that time that you're not eating um, triggers a body response uh, that is like the cleanup crew and it'll go around and fix the insulin receptors. It'll take out the damage. It'll fix the liver. It'll do all of that cleanup and it'll remove excess fat. The fat burning switch goes up when you are not eating during that time. Okay. But if you're not, if you're like, if you go, if you fast like more than that, it actually can trigger, trigger stress response. So staying within that 12 to eight hour or 12 to 10 hour window is key. That is I can't tell you how powerful that is. And you want to min you want to drink mineralized water. So again, go to my channel, check out the YouTube and check out the playlist how to and it'll say how to mineralize your water. It is so crucial. I can't tell you. I actually did this experiment the other day where I drank water with, that was just right from the tap and I peed so much and I was so like 
hangry. I was, I was dehydrated, even though I was drinking all this water. And then the next day I went back to my salt water and it was like my, I didn't have any food cravings. I wasn't excessively going pee, even though I was drinking the same amount of water, like it really works. And the ratios are based on science. Then I would say, um, start lifting weights Mm. twice a week, get a trainer. If you have to, um, buy some stackable weights. That's why I'm I'm in a small town. I don't have access to a gym. I bought some stackable weights from Canadian Tire. It's like a local store. And I go online and I find these free workout videos of weightlifting at, with interval interval weightlifting. And I just do 10 minutes twice a week. Like this is not, we're not talking massive, like go to the gym for an hour. Okay. Just 10 minutes twice a week is that is enough. If you want to do more, that's awesome. Don't overdo it. Why? Because muscle. Muscle is a, as you build your muscle, muscle is a great storage for sugar. So, because it needs more energy, right? It needs more sugar. So, for the same, if you were not to change what you're eating, but you were to add more muscle to your body, you're going to lose weight, right? So, that's really, really great tip. Um, and then the, the other thing I would do is, um, and then nutrition wise, there's so much to get into here, but at the very least for breakfast, your first meal of the day, make sure that it is one that results in a good blood sugar response, not too high. So the way you do that is you add protein if you haven't been adding it in. So um, if you can tolerate eggs, add an egg, right? It's very healthy. It does not increase your cholesterol. I promise the research shows that. Maybe if you tolerate dairy, some cottage cheese. Um, I like to do smoked herring because I can't do eggs or cheese. Some people will do um, like a little bit of chicken or whatever. It just has to be, if you're vegetarian, it might be, or vegan, um, you might be some beans, right? Whatever your source of protein is, okay? Because the protein has, it balances out your blood sugar. That's the end result of that. And then in terms of the, the carbohydrate, the carbohydrate should be the kind of carbohydrate that is clothed in fiber, okay? So um, basically, I, 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 there's so many ways you can go into this, but you want a kind of carbohydrate. So like a, a oatmeal, um, you know, a sourdough bread, uh, not a refined flour kind of uh, bread, uh, gluten-free breads are so high in sugar. It's kind of crazy. So cereals, granolas, and gluten-frees, they're just very, very high in sugar, unfortunately, right? So um, maybe you can find a local baker that makes like a local sourdough or a local gluten-free sourdough. Sourdough, the process of fermentation decreases the sugar and, and increases the starch. So it becomes like a healthier bread option. And add fiber to your meal in other ways. So like I always start my breakfast with my protein and a salad or, or leftover veggies from the meal before. So on my plate, I see my carb because I love carbs. Carbs are important for women too, right? Um, I see my veggies and I see my protein and I add a bit of healthy fat. The Mediterranean diet, they eat on average four tablespoons of olive oil a day. Mm-hmm. So put one of that tablespoons on your salad, right? With a little bit of vinegar, a little bit of salt, maybe squeeze a lemon. Mm-hmm. And just that's your base, right? And actually you can repeat that formula for lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. So minimum, maximum three meals a day, maximum one snack a day. You can go down to two meals a day and one snack a day or two meals a day. Don't go less than that. Too little is also damaging. And just follow that formula. And over time, 
start to replace ultra processed foods like your snacky foods, anything that's in a box with a barcode, anything that has more than five ingredients or an ingredient that you don't understand in plain English, you're like, what is this chemical? I don't understand. Like sodium benzoate, <laughs> right? Like that's not good for you. Sorry, but you know, so start to slowly but steadily eliminate those. And you might find yourself, you know, eating like a handful of nuts and an apple for a snack rather than a protein bar that is expensive and told you're, you know, it's like healthy and all those things. It is better to eat the real food all the time. There's many levels of details to that, but I can tell you that um, that's like the key. Mm-hmm. Yes, if we could eat real food, that's it's the the oldest newest. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. One one other thing: do I'm not guessing. drink your calories. Yes. If you can work your way to a black tea or a black coffee with nothing added, and it will take time. It it took me time. No smoothies uh, unless it's a vegetable smoothie. Okay, smooth blenderizing your fruits and your vegetables. It just kills the fiber. So you don't have the protective fiber anymore. So now you're basically drinking a sugar shot. And that the research has shown that as well. Um, oat milk in your lattes or regular milk in your lattes. Milk has a lot of sugar in it. Butter has the sugar removed, mm. right? It's got more fat, less sugar, which is better for blood sugar balance, actually. Um, you know, the, it's it's actually impressive. Like, I, I think the biggest shift for me was... Um, in addition to eating real foods was like just getting rid of the, the, the milk or milk substitute in my, my coffee and my teas. Mm, yeah, that's huge. And <laughs> I heard you mention with a little bit of disdain, the oat milk and I'm on that same wagon with you too. I feel like it's just so unnecessary, <laughs> but it's something else that can be sold. So I, 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 I you know, uh, we'll leave that one there. That's for, that'll be for another time. Um, but thank you so much, Dr. Patricia. This has been so enlightening. Um, you just provided a lot of clarity for us too on a lot of these concepts that a lot of people are familiar with, but with so many and so much information coming at us, it can be really hard to understand the actual concepts so that we can make a decision that's going to be good for us. So thank you. I appreciate you so much for just kind of laying it all out for us. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love for you to tell listeners a little bit about that gift that you have for them. Yeah, so um, I basically took uh, a lot of information from the four pillars of whole body health um, and directed it, uh, chose the ones that were most powerfully uh, in a shorter amount of time uh, likely to help you balance your hormones naturally. So it includes the mineralization of the water and and uh, the it, it, so actually has that those instructions in there. So it's a it's called Wild Wisdom for Women, uh, naturally rebalancing your hormones, and you get the four strategies plus four recipes and a lot of other information in there. Um, You know, I put the best of what I have to offer in that book. So at the very least, you know, download it and read it and choose four action items from it that you want to, you know, start acting on right away. And you're going to start noticing like it it can be immediate results. It's, It's incredible. Like really, you know, it's so phenomenal. Honestly, that's one of my favorite things about these bodies is when we give them what they need, they turn around so quickly, especially after so many years of us maybe not treating them the best. We truly can experience a lot of really beneficial, beautiful, healthy changes in a short amount of time. And I think that's just so much grace that God has given us and and just that. Oh, (laughs) such a yes, I 100% agree. The body is just incredible. and, And yeah, we just have to learn what it needs. 
Exactly, exactly. And thank you so much for helping us do that here today, Dr. Patricia. And for those of you watching, you can take advantage of that gift that Dr. Patricia just shared on the page that you're watching our episode on and or linked in the email that you received notifying you of today's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Thank you, Dr. Patricia, for hanging out with us. And I will catch you in the next one. Thank you, Lauren. Bye, everybody. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. <laughs>